And the first thing is that Jesus often will do a miracle to draw attention to something that he wants to make sure we don't miss, something that might be overlooked. So he's going to do something out of the ordinary. So he says, hey, I don't want you to miss something. And then the, and the second part then is he wants to open up our eyes to how great he is. So opening up our eyes to the greatness of Jesus. The Bible term for that is to see the glory of God in, displayed in his works. And then the third element of what's the point behind the miracles has to do with 98 times in John's gospel he wants us to place our faith in, place our trust in, put your confidence in him. So when we come across these miracles, remember, right, it's going to be about, hey, make sure you don't miss this. I'm going to display my glory, and I want you to put your trust in me, place your confidence in me. And this morning, I want to talk about where do we go when our joy dries up? Because somewhere along the way of life, there's some things on the inside that are going to come and feel awful dry, and then Jesus steps into that space and offers us another way to live. And that's where we're at here in John 2. The setting in John 2 is a wedding. Look, John 2 verse 1 up here on the screen, or you can pull out your notes, fire up your app. All the notes there are in your app as well. John 2 verse 1, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Can you hear kind of the panicked tone in that statement? They have no more wine. Verse 4, dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Now, important to understand about first century weddings. Where there was a wedding, there was wine. Wedding and wine went together. No wine, no wedding. Because the wine indicated the celebratory nature. It was supposed to be an environment of gladness, of rejoicing, of celebration. So wine contributed to the outflow of rejoicing. So there's a problem when at the wedding reception, the wine runs dry. That's equal to saying the reception's about to end. And in their day, it was a multi-day affair. And notice where Mary, Jesus' mother, turns with the problem. She goes to her son, whom can you picture Mary, how many times she must have brought to Jesus kind of a situation that needed some attention, some circumstances that, you know, hey, Jesus, could you just like, could use a little help over here? Hey, students, some of you feel like your parents give you a long chore list. Let me tell you right now, it's probably not as long as Jesus's. So can you picture the number of times Mary must have gone to Jesus and just said, I could use a little help over here with a few things. And notice Jesus' response. What does he say to her? He says, my time has not yet come. How frustrating that had to be for Mary. How many times Mary might have brought, hey, Jesus, there's kind of a situation on the other side of town, kind of an injustice. Could you just kind of step out, do your Messiah thing, put that in order, and then come back home? My time has not yet come. And his word for time there is the word kairos, which means a God-appointed time. Have you noticed God's timetable is quite different than our human timetable? So human time is chronos. It's where we get our word chronology. Days, years, months, hours, seconds, right? Chronos, right? Have you noticed that God's kairos is often different than our chronos? If you haven't yet, just keep living. You're going to run into this, right? So here in this case is 
We love it when our chronos syncs up with his kairos. That's when you come into worship and you're super excited to lift up your hands and exalt how great your God is because it's all synced up. Things are going exactly like you wanted them to go in the time you wanted it to go. And that does happen sometimes. I just find it quite rare. I find it more often than not like what Mary's experiencing here where Jesus's timetable is different than her timetable. Say, hey, my time has not yet come. And that's referring to he is going to have kind of the public revealing of his Messiah, he's going he's gonna to reveal that in the Father's time frame, the Kairos moment. In this case, Mary's like, hey, we've got some wine issues. Could you just deal with that here at the wedding? Because this is a real problem, Jesus. Here you go, verse 5. Let's see what happens here. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Oh, I love that. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Hey, students, wouldn't that be wonderful if mom said that all the time, right? <laughs> hey, whatever he says, do that. That's that's a unique son. She knew Jesus, right? She knew how Jesus was conceived in her womb. She knew the promises the Father had given. She knew how unique the Son of God she was raising in her home was. So she says to the servants, hey, even though she has no idea what he's going to, just do whatever he tells you to do. Verse 6, nearby said six, six stone water jars, very common like container for water in that day, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Remember that, 20 to 30 gallons per container. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Can you picture that? These servants who were just doing right, carrying water containers, and then all of a sudden the, the master of the banquet says, hey, this is like, hey, this is some really fine wine. Can you picture their faces there? They're like, Hey, Jesus did something unbelievable right here. The master doesn't know it yet. Look at this, verse, verse 9. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. You thought you were the only ones who did that at your party. See that right there? But you have saved the best till now. Don't you love the Bible? The Bible records the unbelievable details. That's crazy, right? Say, so yeah, he pulled out the really, really good wine now, which is so unique. Verse 11, this, the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus, circled this now, revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith, trust, belief, confidence in him. So you see, the core of the story is the Hebrew word simcha. This is a moment of joy. Can you say simcha? Say simcha. That's a Hebrew word for joy. This is a simcha moment. There's 180 gallons of simcha flowing now. This wedding reception is going to go on late into the night. And it reminded me of the role that wine has all through Scripture, and it indicates this role of gladness to the human heart. Look at Psalm 104. I put it in your notes here. Here's what the psalmist said. The Lord makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate. Look at this. Bringing forth food from the earth, wine. Wine that gladdens the heart, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains. I thought how Jesus is our living wine, our living oil, and our living bread. That's the Jesus that we serve. 
And so today, it might be that you're coming to this place, and if you were honest, there's inside, maybe you've got some bone-dry water jars on the inside. And this story in John 2 says, what do you do when your joy dries up? Because Jesus offers something called 180 gallons of flowing, living wine from the inside. And I did some research on kind of joy and the pattern of joy as we age, and I came across a study at Stanford University Medicine. Do you know at Stanford, they discovered the average number of laughs a kindergartner gives in one day. Those of you raising up preschoolers and kindergartners today, you know the average number of laughs for a kindergartner, you want to guess? 300. 300. And then they they factored it, and then how about adults? You want to guess average number of... 17. And if we're real honest, right? I don't know, it was a few weeks ago, I was downstairs, I was watching something on TV, and I was laughing really loud downstairs or something. I came upstairs, and Lily and Kaylin said, Dad, we haven't heard you laugh like that in a long time. I was like, that's not good. The Stanford University study also found that a good, deep, Belly laugh is the equivalence of three minutes on a rowing machine at the gym. Oh, yeah, some of you right now are going, ha, ha, ha. You're thinking about your Netflix binge watching in a whole new level right now. You just picked a good new comedy series. You can tell your personal trainer, hey, I got 30 minutes of a good deep belly laugh right now. Check that rowing machine off the plan tomorrow. But isn't that ironic, right, that there's, there's something about the role, right? There's, there's some, it probably helps us understand why Jesus said often to look at what children can teach us about life and that children can teach us about how to come to him, right? There's something about a child who just doesn't have that, that filter and just kind of has an unfiltered experience of life where 300 times a day there's just bursting forth a sense of joy and gladness. But as we age, there's this I don't know what happens to us, but we just get really skilled at like filtering through stuff. And we can put on this this fake, right? You know we're really good, especially in Christian circles, we can put on the fake Jesus joy smile, especially when you know you're coming to church. And the week may have been a total disaster, but you stand in the atrium and somebody says, hey, how you doing? And you've got the, right? You've got this kind of a smile. So here's a fake smile look. I had to look around. There's Chandler and Monica. Let's see what they can. Go ahead, Ted. Put up Chandler and Monica's face. Here's kind of the fake smile, right? Oh, it's a little dark. You can't really see it. But there's like this fake smile look, right, where here's, here's what the research studies show. Do you know that God designed our face in such a way that they've come up with a phrase for a genuine smile? It's called the zygomatic smile. Here's what a zygomatic smile looks like. My wife's so happy because Hugh Jackman's on the screen. <laughs> I had to get all you ladies' attention back. If you've been counting light bulbs, it's time to come back now to the message, right? <laughs> so you see what zygomatic smile means? So they say it's the study of the zygomaticus muscles in your face that says when there's a genuine expression of joy on the inside, muscles kick in that pull the corners of your mouth upward and cause crow's feet beside your eyes. Like the Hugh Jackman there, Emma Stone, Taylor Swift look. You see, there's a sense of a real joyfulness that comes forth. Like, you can't fake this. As opposed to, right, your school pictures that you knew every time you were never going to purchase. Because when the photographer said smile, right, it was, you know, it, there's no zygomatic smile there. 
It's fake. Isn't this amazing? So here's what God says. God says, what's going on in here? Track with me. What's going on in here eventually leaks out up here. You know that, right? Now, we can get really skilled at kind of faking it and all that. But you know, right, you can't fake your zygomatic muscles. You know when it's a genuine expression of joy that comes forth. And I think John chapter 2 says, hey, where do you go when the best you've got to offer is a fake smile? Because stuff is so dried up in here. John chapter 2 says, you bring those bone dry water vessels. You bring them one place. And for the remainder of our message, what I walk us through now is what I'm calling Jesus's order of joy. Here's where I want you to think about joy. I want you to think about joy as the culmination of a sequence of events that occurs inside of us. Joy is a culmination of a sequence of events that occurs inside of us. And today we're going to look at three movements in the events. So the first one, it's, it's a, here's the sequence today. It's seeing, settling, receiving. And as we embrace these through mo- three movements, there's this living wine that begins to flow, even when the containers feel bone dry. I love what Lynn Twist says. Here's a quote I put in your notes. She wrote a book called... Um, the soul of money or something. I think it was something like that. And Lynn Twist said it this way. I thought she got at kind of the bone dry existence. Says, for me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. Anybody ever wake up and say the first thing I did? Yeah, I didn't get enough sleep. Man, I wish I got more sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. How many times have I woke up and said exactly that? I didn't get enough sleep, and there are enough hours in this day to get done all the... Well, follow this now. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We're not thin enough, we're not smart enough, we're not pretty enough, or fit enough, or educated, or successful enough, or rich enough, ever. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, hear this, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds race with a litany of what we didn't get or what we didn't get done that day. So we go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to the reverie of lack, what begins as a simple expression of the hurried life or even the challenged life, grows into the great justification for an unfulfilled life. Church, is it any wonder why we are a nation who is so hungry for joy? We are starving for genuine joy. And so I want to talk about a kind of joy that's only found in the living wine of Jesus' life. And the first movement in the order of joy, I put in your notes there, is this seeing movement. Notice in the story in John 2, right, Jesus had the, at the wedding, and it's his physical presence at the wedding. They see Jesus. Mary sees Jesus, says, hey, we've got a problem, presents the problem to Jesus. Do you know as a follower of Jesus, you're never truly alone? Do you really believe that? I know sometimes in life you can feel very alone. I get it. There's a, there's a tangible feeling of aloneness. But do you realize the Bible says that if Jesus is your Savior, you are never truly alone. Isn't that unbelievable? 
no matter how dark or deep the valley, no matter how difficult the circumstances, no matter how high the mountaintop, no matter how mundane the everydayness in between, Jesus says, I will be with you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He actually has a name, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is with us. And this is the first movement of this order of joy to really grasp on the inside that Jesus will never leave us. And in John 16, the disciples were really on the struggle bus with this because Jesus was telling them what was to come. He said, I'm headed to the cross. It's going to get bloody. It's going to get ugly. They're going to crucify me. They're going to bury me. I'm going to rise. And they were struggling. They were in the tank over this. And so here's John 16. Here's what it says. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Now is your time of grief. For some of you, that's exactly where you are right now. Some of you going through some stuff. You know, I've been, you've been sending out to our core church family, right? You've been getting updates about the various families around here who are going through some stuff, right? Hunter and I were involved with the funeral this week for a 13-year-old family. I think some of the extended family may be here today. That's an unbelievably difficult... Now is your time of grief. Do you think there was some grief standing at the gravesite with a 13-year-old's casket? And then the next day in our own community, right, we have the Hun family, and we have a 13 and a 15-year-old, a ripple effect across our community. Now is your time of grief. Grief is a real experience being a, being a person in this life, you're going to experience grief and loss. Now is your time of grief. You may be right there in your own personal circumstance. You're feeling right what those disciples felt. Now listen, what Jesus said, now is your time of grief. Look, but, underline in your Bibles, I will see you again. Do you see that? And then what? And you will circle rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. So in your Bibles, I want you to circle grief I want you to circle rejoice, and I want you to draw a bridge-like arc between grief and rejoice. You track with me? Circle grief, circle rejoice, draw the bridge, and over the bridge, I want you to write seeing. The journey from grief to rejoicing is rooted in this promise. I will see you again. Do you see that? I will be with you. A spouse may have abandoned you. Your boss may have eliminated your job. Your friend may have walked away from you. You may have had all kinds of grief, all kinds of loss, all kinds of endings. In Jesus, you will not be alone. I will be with you. And this is the first movement on this journey to joy, is we got to get our arms around this stage when we hit grief and loss, that Jesus is with us in that space. I will be with you. And then from the seeing now, he moves into a settling. You settle down in Jesus' presence. You just take a deep breath, and you realize no matter dark, how dark, no matter how difficult, no matter how long, no matter how unexpected the current journey is, I'm going to settle down into his presence. And here's the shift. The shift in this movement is you begin to take your focus off of your circumstances and you move them to Jesus who's with you, present. I know the temptation I have when, when I hit tough times, I'm just circumstance dependent. I just want the circumstances to change. And it's fine to be praying about the circumstances and working towards them, but here's where our focus has got to be. Our focus cannot be on the circumstances. When you're 
When your water jars on the inside are turning bone dry, you can't make the movement this. Start focusing on the circumstances and manipulate and move the circumstances to try to get your joy to return. That's a dead-end street. You can't focus and fixate on getting more joy. You've got to shift your focus to Jesus who's with you and settle down in his presence. Because hear this, joy comes as an overflow of being in the presence of someone you love. And you've all experienced this when you've hit tough times. How meaningful it's been when just the right person showed up at just the right time. And the net effect was, listen, your circumstances didn't change, but you changed in it as a result of being in the presence of someone you love. And I was reminded this past January from this scene here, here's a picture of Lily and Kaylin and I. We were with my grandma. This is a picture of... Grandma Lillian, whom I remember the day when we called. She was 90 in that photo. I remember the day we called from the birthing room when Lily was born. And I called Grandma Lillian. I said, hey, Grandma, I'd like to to introduce you to your newest granddaughter, Lillian Grace Simpson. We've named her after you. And now how the tears and the joy of those moments. We were remembering that. We were telling some of those stories. We went and visited her in her nursing home, and this is a picture from the nursing home bed, and the room was dark, and it was cold, and the the window was kind of beat up, and the cold North Iowa wind was blowing through it, and it was just kind of a depressing setting like some of those settings can be, and and we stood in there, and we talked a little bit, and we told some stories. We could tell Grandma was struggling a bit with just the transition from her more independent living now to this kind of a setting, and it just, we spent about half an hour or so there, and we were telling some stories, and I prayed at the end. We took some pictures. And here's what, when we were walking out, all of us had a few tears in our eyes. But here's what I noticed about Grandma Long. Her circumstances weren't any different 30 minutes later. Do you know the room was still as dark as it was before? The air was still cold coming in that window. The smells were still like they were before. Uh, The roommate that was making all those noises before still making those noises, but... You know what? I think the living wine just started to flow inside of her a little bit. All it was was she was in the presence of some people she loved for a few minutes. And that's how you know that that's part of the movement of joy with us. And stay with me, right, to think about, hey, this is what Jesus is asking us. Hey, settle down in this space. I am with you. And I will be enough for you. And I will walk with you. And though your circumstances may not be different, do you know the Bible makes this amazing declaration that we as a people can rejoice no matter the circumstances? When you read those passages, you go, yo, yeah, right. Now, he's not saying rejoice about the circumstances. Your circumstances can be filled with grief and difficulty and loss. You call it what it is. He's saying you in them. Do you see this? You in them. You see that I'm with you and you settle down into this presence that you're not alone in it. And then something starts to pulsate inside of you that is circumstance-independent joy. And that's what's happening here in John 2, I think, at this wedding. And then there's this third movement to receiving. You follow in the three now? So you've got the first movement of seeing. You're never truly alone. The second movement is settling. He's with you. His presence. You're in the presence of someone who loves you, who gave his life for you, who will stay with you. 
and you settle down into that and you shift your focus off of the circumstances that you so desperately want to be different and you focus on him with you in them. That's the settling. And the third one is this receiving posture. You see, joy is a, it's this, I put it in your notes this way. Joy is a gift we receive, not a virtue we achieve. This is how Jesus put it this way. He made this amazing statement. John 15, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. How about that statement? So Jesus said, my joy will be in you and that's the pathway to your joy being complete. So that tells me every other joy outside of Jesus' joy is kind of second best. So if you're settling for the joys that this world offers outside of Jesus, I just want to encourage you, you're missing out on a whole other level of joy in the midst of whatever you're going through because Jesus' joy matches, it's, it's a whole other space. Your joy is going to complete in Him. So we've got no shot for a completeness of joy without a communion and intimacy with Jesus because it's seeing that he's with you, it's settling down in his presence, and then you're in this posture of receiving from him. Just like we receive the Holy Spirit, just like we receive salvation, just like we receive forgiveness, we receive mercy, we receive grace. The posture is one of a receiver, not an achiever when it comes to joy. That's really hard for us North American suburbanites. We like to achieve, accomplish, produce, create, and you're battling on the inside, drying up, and you're going to go after joy. And you know, you need, it needs to be more of seeing, settling, receiving. That's the rhythm. Seeing, settling, receiving. So, Friday morning, I got a front row seat to all of these movements, all right? So, Friday morning. You guys were so generous, and Justin and Ian and everybody else was so determined that Pastor Eric was going over this 20-story building. Thank you so much for that, by the way. <laughs> I lived in denial for three weeks over this, just so you know. I was so glad you guys were behind the cause, and we want to help support City Life and all that and do something about youth violence. Those are all good things. I woke up Friday morning. I thought, oh, my, I, this is really happening. So we pulled the girls out of school. They were so happy not to go to school. They're going to go down and watch dad rappel off this building. And we get down there, and I pull up to the building, and I don't remember the Barnes and Thornburg building looking that tall before. And they strapped you all in, right? And they got up to the top, and they teach you all these things. And I remember riding up in the elevator, and Brad, our middle school director, Brad says that he was super. <laughs> Brad says to us in the elevator, he's like, hey guys, just so you know, when I'm really nervous and scared, I talk a lot. <laughs> He's just a chatterbox the whole time up on the roof. We get up on the roof. I felt like, you know, I felt like I was in one of those movies, right, where you see them like they, they bust open the door to jump out on the roof of a building, and you just wanted to like, right, go Tom Cruise or Jack Bauer. You just wanted to like, no, not really. I really just wanted to, I stood up there and thought, what am I doing on the roof of this building? And then they got us in the harness, and Justin and I were partnered up. And Justin was far too giddy and happy and relaxed about this whole thing. I was like, brother, do you realize what we're going to do here? He's like, yeah, isn't this great? I think his exact word was, this is rad. I go, that's not rad on my end. So we're strapped in. We got the GoPro cameras on. And so we get to this spot right at the top of the building. Go ahead, Ted, you can put the picture up, all right? So I just kind of want to, I want to give you a moment here, right, to internalize where we're at. So 
Justin's there on my left, and I'm standing there, and we're all strapped in, and Matt is the name of the gentleman in front of me, and he's way too relaxed up there, but he's just so chill. He's like, Eric, look at me. Yes, I'm looking at you, Matt. He says, look at me, baby steps backwards until your heels get off the edge and then stop. I was so glad he said stop, you know. I was like, <laughs> so I'm there, I stopped. He says, can you feel your heels off the edge? Yep. He says, okay, and I had to hold those poles. You see those poles right there? I felt real good about having to hold those poles. And then he said, okay, I need you to let go of the poles. I need you to grab the rope here and the rope here. Okay, here's what he said. He said, okay, now I need you to flex your knees. I need you to lean back and push away. Church, are you kidding me right now? I'm like this. I, I did the mistake. Here's why I like this. I, I kind of, I went like this, flex, and I did this. That was bad. That was really bad. I went like this. I turned to Justin. I go, what am I doing? He goes, yeah, man, isn't this cool? No. I want to pee my pants or throw up or all the above, like right now. So I'm like this, and Matt goes, Eric, look at me. <laughs> he goes, lean back. I'm like, I go like this, maybe an inch. I'm frozen. I'm frozen. He goes, Eric, lean back. I go, Matt, I'm trying. <laughs> Everything inside your body says, don't lean back off a 20-story building's ledge. Are you kidding me? So I finally, I just sat down. So I just kind of fell into the harness. And the harness, that's how you kind of let the heart, full harness get you, right? So then you're now in this posture, suspended. Now I'm just suspended over my feet are right on the ledge. And then they say this, okay, let go of the rope. <laughs> kidding me? So like, that was that shot right there. And the facial expression right there is fairly accurate. That's, that's me preventing vomit from coming forward, I think. <laughs> Justin's over there just laughing, having a... See, look how chill Matt is. Matt's just like, dude, this guy's like way over the top. You know, he's just got his head down. And... So we start descending down this, you know, and Danny Marquez is down there on the loudspeaker cheering, Justin, Lionel Bartles, Eric Simpson going over the edge for youth violence. They're all fired up. And we're going down. You have control now. They, they teach you how to, like, release yourself. And so we're kind of working our control. And I don't know. I felt like, Justin, we've been at it, what, maybe five minutes? It felt like forever, but five minutes. And he kind of looks over at me. He goes, hey, is your arm getting a little tired? Yeah, I'm getting a little tired, too. Kind of shake your hands out. You can just stop and let yourself dangle there. And then I look up and I'm like, we've gone maybe 30 feet. <laughs> Remember that, Justin? Like, Justin says, hey, let's pick up the speed on this thing. Great idea, because I just want to get down. At this point, I just wanted down. I'm like 250 feet in the air. My stomach is turning. I'm looking around going, what am I doing? I just want down. So we figure out how to get some speed on this thing. You just pull this lever, and you start picking up speed, right? Gravity just takes over. I'm like, yes, let's get down. Shh, shh. We're like, woohoo! And then all of a sudden, shoo, my device, I go too fast. And the device locks up. Justin over there, he's having a great old time. He's like, woohoo! He goes, zoom, running by me. What happened to team ministry right here? He's my wingman. Like, he's out of here, like down there drinking a Coke, waving. I'm just, I'm like 100 feet in the air, completely suspended, stopped. And everybody down there is cheering. Kaylin and Lily thought, oh, Dad, we thought you were showing off. Like, I'm there, like, 
No, I'm freaking out. That's what I'm not, I'm not showing off. I want down. How much clearer can I be about this? So the guy comes on the radio, the little radio. Right, it's right here. I'm standing there. I'm looking at my device. It's all slacked up, and I don't know what's going on. He says, Mr. Eric. I love it that he called me Mr. Eric. <laughs> I just said, yes. <laughs> he says, reach your left hand up and release the safety brake. Now, church, straight up right now, let me tell you what through my head right there. I'm not doing that. A hundred percent, that's what went through my head. I'm not doing that. Come on now, are you kidding me? I'm suspended a hundred feet off the ground. I see the safety brake. I put my hand up there at least. I could tell the teeth of that safety brake, all my weight is in there. I could see it, like the rope and the teeth, and I'm like, and I look over at my other device, it's two-rope system, and my other rope's all slacked up. I'm going, if I pop that brake, you with me? Where am I going? Gravity wins here, right? I just said to him, I ain't doing that. <laughs> nope. He was very calm. Mr. Eric, reach your hand up and release the safety brake. I said, I'm not doing that. I just want to get down. That's all I said. I guess the radio was live the whole time. I thought I had to hit the button. So I was just yelling into this radio. I just want down. Just get me down. And then he said this. He said, now, okay, Eric. Okay, okay, okay. Relax right here. Deep breath. I felt like I was there forever, right? Everybody down just cheering, music playing. I am not having a good time right now. I just want down. He says, stick your hands out to your side. Extend them completely like this. Kind of like that posture right there. Hang right there. He said, this is your posture of surrender. You surrender. Meaning, you told everybody on the roof and everybody on the ground, you're done. Yes, I'm done. And he said, we take over now and we will lower you to the ground with the safety rope. Thank you, Jesus. I was like, thank you so much. And then I just started to descend and I'm like, yes. And church, let me tell you, when I hit the pavement right there, Simcha, that was my Simcha. And I might have been looking for a glass of that wine Jesus was making there in John 2. I'm just telling you right there, like, the adrenaline dump inside of me. I was like, what? I mean, I had in my head a level of intensity this thing was going to be. It was like two or three notches higher than that. And it was this Simcha moment. It's like, joy, I was just so glad to be on the ground. I was so glad that was over. And I looked back on all that, and I thought, you know what? Jesus' order of joy is a little bit like the gravitational pull off a 20-story building. You really have to keep your eyes locked. Look at me. <laughs> Look at me. That's really important. And if you do that, then there's this moment where you have to kind of lean back and you have to settle in. And then there's that place that you know we all come to in our walk with Jesus where you let go of the rope you stretch out your hands, and it's surrender. And you simply let him do what you could never do on your own. A hundred percent, I had no idea a hundred feet in the air how I was going to get to that ground. But others did. And so I have no idea what circumstances you walked in here with. But here's what I do know. 
Your water jar might be Cana of Galilee, wedding bone dry. And you've been saying, I don't know, Lord. I can't picture getting through another day, another week, another month like this. And Jesus says, hey, like Mary, you bring your bone dry water jar. You bring them to Jesus. And you see, look at me, see. I am with you. Settle down into that presence. Learn the posture of surrender and receive. And he promises 180 gallons of living wine that will gladden the heart. Your circumstances may not be any different walking out of here, but Jesus says you can be in them. I think that's a joy that nothing in this world can give. That's Jesus' joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that there is a kind of life available that no one else can bring, a kind of joy only you offer. And so very aware of so many circumstances, whether it's the Snyder family with Sammy, whether it's the Hun family, whether it's the Hickmans or the Christiansons or so many others in between. I pray that you would bless us with a seeing, a settling, and receiving, that by your Spirit you would bring forth a kind of joyfulness that would spring forth, that what's going on on the inside will eventually leak out on the outside. We receive now the gift that you offer. We receive it by the power of the Spirit. Come, have your way, refresh, renew, strengthen. Meet each one where they are. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.